In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Please be seated. In Scripture, the Christian life is conceived of as an athletic competition. It's pictured as a race. On Ash Wednesday, I said I compared Lent to training for a marathon, that it could be understood as a season of intense preparation for the race of life, wherein we, as the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us. In Philippians 3, verse 14, which is just before the beginning of today's epistle, and today's epistle is where we're going to be camping out if you want to have that in front of you, St. Paul writes this. Notice the athletic imagery. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So continuing with the motif of running a race, I want to point out three things from the epistle. I want to give you three training tips, if you will, that will help you to keep a holy Lent and to run the race well. Number one is follow godly examples. Number two is to remember where you're from. Remember your country of origin. And number three, hope in the resurrection. Anchor your hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection at the end of the age. So how do we run well this race that is set before us? Well, first, by realizing that we cannot do it alone. The ascent up the hill of the Lord, to switch to a mountaineering metaphor, is not a solo climb. Verse 17 of Philippians 3, Brethren, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and mark those, note those, who so live as you have an example in us. We follow Jesus Christ in part by following the godly examples of others. St. Paul is saying to the church, I mean, right there in verse 17, imitate me. And he's not just saying that to the church at Philippi 2,000 years ago, but for all Christians at all times, he says to us, imitate me. In athletics, and the same thing could be said, I'm sure, in the arts, but in athletics, whether natural athletics or spiritual athletics, if you want to get better, if you want to excel, what do you do? You make note of, you notice, you identify the masters of the craft and imitate them. And so the saints, one of which is St. Paul, of course, those who are masters in the art and science of cooperating with grace, those who ran their race exceedingly well, 
they can. They're available to us to give us help in our race by way of intercession, which we talk about every All Saints, but also by way of example. Hebrews 12.1, that's the whole logic of that passage. Since we are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the one holy Catholic and apostolic church of which we are members is comprised of both the living and the dead. Thus we can and should form friendships with mature brothers and sisters in Christ, whether living or dead. So as to the latter, how do we form friendships with the saints? How do we cultivate communion with the saints? A great starting point is follow the church calendar, find out what feast day it is, and read about their lives. As to the former, the living, form friendships, or maybe you're already doing this, continue to cultivate and deepen friendships and relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ who are spiritually mature, who have as the singular goal of his or her life winning the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Said simply, surround yourself with people who are spiritually sharp. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. If I can just, it's just so instinctive. I'm going to revert to my youth pastor days. Who you spend your time with will have a profound effect on your life. Perhaps you've heard the quote. It's kind of cheesy to a Gen Xer. But show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Another one I love is you're the average of your five closest friends. So it doesn't matter how old you are. Those with whom you are friends have a profound effect on your life. So if you want to run well, brothers and sisters, you want to run with the varsity team. Run with those that are going to get you where you're supposed to go, where you need to go. Also, if you're an athlete, you need a coach. Now, this isn't explicit in Philippians 3, but St. Paul is certainly giving and did give throughout his ministry what is called a spiritual direction. Spiritual direction. And I immediately think of Paul's relationship with Timothy. He was his spiritual father. He was giving him spiritual uh, direction. And one way of thinking of a spiritual director is as a coach for the athletes of God. A spiritual director is one that helps you and gives you guidance so that you can cooperate with the grace of God in your life, that you can learn to better fight temptation, that you can learn to better pray, that you can grow in your understanding and application of the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And so the question is, who is your coach? Perhaps I'm the obvious answer, but I want to encourage you 
Because in a, in a coaching relationship and spiritual direction, how, how it plays out is it's an explicit thing where there's regular meetings, whatever the interval is, every other week or once a month. And we're going through this. And there's coaching in the spiritual life. And so I want to I put out to you all is the greatest thing I would love to get a flurry of Tomorrow, tomorrow morning, even though I'm going to be out of town, I probably won't be looking at my email that much, but, I, but I'll, I'll check it anyways, is a flurry of emails where you say, Father Matt, train me. Be my coach. I want to grow. So how do we run well? We cultivate communion with the saints. We form friendships with godly people. And we find a spiritual director. So that would be one A, B, and C. Second, remember where you're from. If I were to ask you where you're from, you're going to mention the place of your birth. Even if you immediately say, well, I was born here, but, you know, I grew up in wherever. Living the Christian life, running the race well, involves... Living in the light of the fact that we were born from above. That we've, we've experienced the new birth in the sacrament of baptism. That we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And it's remembering our identity. So much of Paul's teaching is here is what God has done for you. This is what God has done in you. Live in light of these realities. Actually participate in the grace that's been extended to you in Jesus Christ. And so we have to remember who we are in Christ. Who are we? We're children of God. We're, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Whose we are, we belong to Christ and where we're from, namely heaven. We're children in the royal family of God. We are servants, sons, and daughters of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Our citizenship is in heaven. Lent, and this is my favorite definition of Lent, is a 40-day journey into the wilderness with our Lord to do battle with and share in Christ's victory over the enemies of our souls, one of which is the world. And we talked about last week that the Bible talks about the world in the positive sense as the actual cosmos, the creation, all the people in the world which God created and loves and wants to redeem, but there's also the world in the pejorative sense, the world uh, without God, the world in rebellion to God. And so in Philippians 3.19, the world in the pejorative sense, that is fallen humanity in rebellion to Almighty God, is described, and it's described in sharp contrast, contrast with the church which is in the world, but not of the world. That is, we are in this world, obviously. It's not a simulation, guys. Get off the internet. We're not living in the matrix. 
We're in this world. We're on the earth. We're living in this present age. But we are not characterized by it. We are people of the age to come. As Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are to set our minds on things above and to put and put to death what is earthly, that is worldly in us. We, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are not to be ruled by our passions. We're not to be at the mercy of our impulses, of our bestial desires, but rather we are to rule them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I beat my body into submission. That doesn't mean he was a sort of masochist. But it's he, his flesh... His animal nature was not in charge of his life. It was ordered, those desires were ordered under the rule of King Jesus. Our God is not our stomach, our stomachs, that is our inordinate desires. Our God is the Lord. We are no longer slaves to sin, but servants of King Jesus. And as the prayer book says, if you've been uh, one of the colics in morning prayer says that his service is perfect freedom. To serve, to serve, to be a servant in the court of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is perfect freedom. You see, real freedom is not doing whatever you want to do. That's not freedom. That's a, like a warped libertinism, I think it's called. And the reason that that's not real freedom is because if you do whatever you want to do, you just do what comes natural, you do what you have the urge to do, sooner or later, that will be all that you'll be able to do. You'll, you'll be ruled by that desire and that impulse Using your freedom to sin is no freedom at all, but it's bondage. True freedom is being able and equipped to pursue the true, the good, and the beautiful, all of which find their origin in Zenith and Almighty God. Now, being a citizen of heaven... And many have misunderstood this. Okay, I'm a citizen of heaven, and what happens here doesn't matter. I'm just going to sit around and wait, you know, for the rapture, wait to die, or whatever, you know. So life on this earth is irrelevant. That's not what Paul is saying. The logic, and the, the, the Christians in Philippi would have understood this because they were very much aware they were living uh, empire. They were aware of the logic of citizenship of empire, of, of colonization. The culture and the reign and rule of Rome had come to Philippi, which is a Roman colony. So as the culture and reign of Rome came to Philippi, so does the reign of God come on earth as in he heaven in and through the church and her members. Thy will... Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The life of heaven coming to earth. 
Nor does Paul mean, as he gives this sharp contrast between the church and the world, between the citizens of light and the citizens of darkness, the, the citizens of heaven and the citizens of this world. He is not saying that we should have a misanthropic or self-righteous attitude towards the people of the world, which God loves and for whom Christ died. Paul, when describing the enemies of the cross of Christ, what does he say? He, he, do, he does so with tears, desiring that they would be saved. The church is in the world but not of the world, yet nevertheless is for the world. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ. Third and finally, to run well, we need to put our hope in the risen Jesus who will raise us up at the last day. Verses 20 and 21 of Philippians 3, which again contrasts the world and the church, say, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. To run well, we need to be anchored in the hope of the resurrection at the end of the age. For one, because the race of this present life can be difficult. It can be arduous. But if we're anchored in the hope of the resurrection, we know, like Paul, that it is but a light, momentary affliction when compared to the glory that awaits. I mean, think about it. What, because this is all we know, it's so hard for us to get perspective on this but what is 80 90 you know you got really good genes you take care of yourself a hundred years in comparison to eternity life is like a vapor so brothers and sisters run for things eternal run for things that are lasting Strive not for a crown that is perishable and fleeting, but for that which is imperishable and eternal. And the imperishable prize for which we race is God himself. It's seeing him face to face. It's union with him. It's transformation into his likeness. And though that transformation will not be complete until we see him, it begins now. Because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in us, dwells in the church, and he gives life to our mortal bodies. Yes, Paul's speaking of the resurrection ultimately, but even now, as the spirit works in us, as we learn to cooperate with grace in the liturgical and sacramental life of the church, in prayer, in the sacraments, in the reading of scripture, in these spiritual disciplines. Our lowly bodies 
our flesh, our disordered desires become ordered under the most gracious rule of King Jesus. So let us learn, brothers and sisters, to run well by forming friendships with godly brothers and sisters, both living and dead, by remembering and living in the light of our citizenship, which is in heaven, and by being anchored in the hope of the resurrection, keeping our eyes on the prize, which is Jesus Christ himself, the author and finisher of our faith, to whom with the Father and the Holy Spirit be all honor, glory, and praise. Amen.